0: Amen. Yes, that was that was quite a retreat. I I will tell you, I I don't I don't know if I've experienced the Holy Spirit to that level again. It it was, yeah. You would just had to have seen it. <laughs> it was kind of off the charts, off the chain, off the charts. It was actually, you know, I told people after that, I felt like the only way I could describe it in, you know, was that feeling or the term that we call nirvana. It was like, and I don't know if y'all have ever seen that Star Trek movie where that guy, you know, he was in nirvana and he gets pulled out of it. Has anybody seen that Star Trek movie? And that's all he wants to do is get back to nirvana. That's his whole thing is to get back to that place. And I mean, I'm telling you, when you touch that place, Yeah, you want to get back there. If you can get back there, you want to get back there. So anyways, it was an awesome time. And uh, um, a time I'll never forget. In fact, I have to tell you one more thing about it. Um, The Lord had told me at that retreat that I was to give every lady there a rose. Call them up individually. Introduce them as the Lord's first lady and give them a a rose. Do you remember that? And Diane's like, what? What? Because there was a hundred ladies coming. (laughs) I said, we're supposed to do it. And so we did that. It took a while. But man, again, it was a blowout time. But at the end, the ladies felt like they were supposed to give me back all those roses. I took home a hundred roses. And I kept, the thing that I prayed over them, you know, was when Paul said that he would lose none of those that were given to him. I still have those roses. I dried them, and I still have those roses. And I pray for that, for all those ladies. And so, yeah, it was, it was just, you know, So I didn't know that Jessica was at that when I started coming to this church. I had no idea. And then Travis is like, when I w- we were comparing notes, and he goes, you wouldn't happen to have been the lady that led this retreat. I was like, yeah. He goes, but I thought you had blonde hair. Well, that was then. This is now. <laughs> Okay, things change. So, um, yes, thank you, Holy Spirit. I'll just pray for a second. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you for what you want to speak to us today. Thank you, Father, for what you were you were doing in the earth today, Lord. To some of this looks so confusing to us, but Lord, you are at work, and you are having your way. And so today, Father, we say, have your way with us completely. Have your way. Work in us completely what you want to work in us. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So I believe the message that I have today is a um, very prophetic message. Um, I actually have wrestled quite a bit with it um, because for one, there were some parts of it I thought this is going to go down like a rat sandwich. You know, it's just not going to be real palatable. Um, and, and it's not exactly a Valentine's Day message. But um, I really felt like it was an important message concerning the time and the age that we are in right now. And so it's very important that we understand that, that we understand that. And so the first, um, let me see if I remember how to work this. Yeah. First scripture I want to start to is with is First Chronicles twelve thirty two, And this references the sons of Issachar who were part of David's army. It says, of the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. And the context of this verse is the gathering of the army to David um, so that he could, to himself, so that he could the kingdom could be turned over to him from Saul. And I believe that we are in a time of war right now. Just like they were gathering an army, the army was being gathered to him. I believe that we are in a time of that, of gathering the army, gathering the troops, of rallying the troops. And... Um, So I want us to look at what Jesus says to his disciples concerning the sign of his coming and the end of the age. And this conversation that he has with them is actually in three different books. It's in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. But I want us to look at the Mark 13 passage. Okay, Mark 13, 5 through 13. And I'm going to kind of break this up and talk about it a little bit. Starting in verse 5, it says, And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he and will deceive many. And I'm gonna tell you, this is one of the primary spirits of this age, is the spirit of deception. The Lord actually says that in the end of the age there will be a great delusion, okay? And he will allow it because he's actually separating, he's separating those that are his. And those that are not going to be his, you know, that, that have rebellion in their heart and will not repent. So there is a great delusion. And so we, one of the things we need to be asking for is discernment. We need to be praying for discernment. That's very important. Okay. So going on in verse seven, but when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled for such things must happen. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles, and these are the beginning of sorrows. So first, as it says here, there'll be wars and rumors of war, okay? And again, the end of the age is a time of war, and it's a time of war that's on many fronts and many levels, okay? It's not just natural war, but it crosses all sorts of realms, as we're going to see and we're going to talk about. So the example first that you can look at is this word nation in verse 8. Okay, it's actually the word ethnos. It's the, uh, in its first divine, it's not like a nation, but a race, okay? It's a race, a nation, the nations. And this word ethnos also carries with it the idea of those of the same habit. Are those who are associated together or living together or a tribe or a company of people and also those who don't worship God are sometimes referred to this. Also the word kingdom in this. It's the word, okay, let me slow down so I can say this here. Basili- <laughs> Basilia. Basalaya, that's it. Okay. Basalaya. All right, and it means, and I've just copied the definition again from like your Strong's abstractly, it's a rule. Or concretely, it's a realm, which can be literal or figurative, okay? And then it says kingdom plus reign. That's because it's a kingdom, it has a reign, it does have a king, okay? Also means royal power, kingship, dominion, or rule. So I don't think it takes, you know, much discernment to realize, really, when you look at what's going on in the world, that we are at war. And we are at war over m- multiple realms, like this says, concretely, abstractly, <laughs> literally, figuratively, you know, across dominions. And I believe the main war that is being waged is, is the light versus darkness, okay? It's, the, it's the, the kingdom of the enemy versus the kingdom of God. And I believe this is much of what we're seeing, not only in this nation, but the nations around the world. We are seeing a war between what is holy and what is profane, okay? And this war is only going to intensify, you guys. (laughs) I mean, because the scripture tells us that. It's going to only intensify globally as we get closer and closer to the end of the age, okay? All right, so let's go ahead. Well, I think I have missed. I think I missed verse 9 in my slides. Okay, so I'm going to read it for you. Uh, It says, But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and you will be, be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. You know, for us in America, this had kind of been something that we'd only really read about. We had not had a lot of persecution against us as Christians in this country. But that is changing very rapidly. Okay, if you look at the news, you see what's happening out there it's everywhere. I don't know if any of you follow the Apostolic Prophetic Intercessor Dutch Sheets, but he even posted on his website this week that the government has contacted him and, and told him he was not to speak anymore about any possible election fraud or any of that. Okay. So, and then I just heard, focus on the family, which I kind of considered a rather benign Christian group, except for maybe, I thought, well, what is it? Maybe it's their stance on abortion. You know, they've been, they've just been taken off of Twitter, and they're fighting it. And you're seeing this with group after group. People are beginning to be persecuted, okay? Um, I'm in touch with some people in Myanmar, and I don't know if you know what's going on over there, but they've had a coup, and their internet is being taken down. And um, from some of the things they told me, that's because China and North Korea have come in, and they're, you know, they're taking over the communication over there. Okay, it will be controlled. They're also raiding places at night over there. I saw the footage of it, and just taking people in the middle of the night. They used to work for the government, who said, well, we're not gonna work for this government. Well, they're coming to get them, toting them off, don't know where they're taking them so you know things are changing in this world and and it and we have to prepare ourselves and we we got to realize that we are in a time of war okay we've got to realize that and we've got to discern these times um okay so now i'm coming to the verse 12 okay now brother will betray brother to death and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Um, This scripture is, again, describing yet another realm of warfare that is going on, and that is going to go on here at the end of the age. It's both familiar warfare and cross-generational warfare. And I believe, again, that this is both natural and spiritual, okay? Naturally, it's referring to natural families and bloodlines and natural generations as well as spiritual families and generations. And I know I've heard that. I've heard of stories right now where families are split. (laughs) I've had it in my own family where the children wouldn't talk to the parents, um, parents not talking to children, arguing, not not coming to holidays (laughs) because of all of the split that is going on. So I want us then to look at a, another very well-known passage about the end of the age and the return of the Lord, you know, which Travis has referenced frequently several times now, and that is in Malachi. Okay, um, Malachi 4, 5 through 6. Here it says, Behold, and this is the Lord talking, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore, or some translations say turn, the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Okay, so this is another prophetic passage that tells us what the Lord wants to do here at the end of the age. And I'm not going to go all into Elijah, man, that's a huge study and a really good study. (laughs) So I'd encourage you to search some of that out. Because, you know, that's what's happening again. Elijah, Jezebel, all of it's happening, okay? And what Elijah does is what is happening in the earth today. And that's what God is trying to do, okay? And you could see even um, the, the first time that Elijah came, but there was a second time that Elijah came. And that was before the first coming of the Lord. And Jesus said, John the Baptist, if the people could accept it, it was kind of a hard thing for them, he said, maybe. But that he was Elijah. He had come in that spirit to prepare the way for the Lord, okay? So he came then, and he's coming again to prepare the way for the Lord again. When he came that first time, he was turning the people's hearts back to the Lord, because there had been a 400-year silence, pretty much prophetically, and the people had really strayed. So he came back that spirit of Elijah to turn the people back to the Lord to prepare them for the coming of Jesus the first time and so now we've had a 2,000 year wait right (laughs) okay but here at the end of the age that spirit of Elijah is being sent to prepare us for the return of the Lord and this is very important that we partner with that and um And it's interesting to me that this preparation is described as that familiar and cross-generational movement. So if you look at that passage of scripture, in contrast, what would you say the enemy's plan would be here at the end of the age? You know, you can deduce that from that. His plan would be to cause familial and cross-generational separation. He would be trying to do the very opposite of this. Okay. Um. So you know, our prayers and desire as a family of God should be to combat this, and to combat it first in ourselves. Okay. Because I'm going to tell you, this has been part of the hard thing, you know, of wrestling with this message, you know, of of looking into myself, but also being sure that I didn't point the finger, because you know, Isaiah 58 talks about the true fast, and it says we. You should remove the, part of that is remove the pointing of the finger from yourself. And we all know you point the finger, you got three pointing back at you, right? (laughs) So that's, you know, this isn't for us to, to, some of the things I'm going to share this morning is not to just to start pointing the finger, okay? It is for us to examine ourselves. And I'm going to tell you I'm guilty of all of this. I'll tell you right now. I'm guilty of all of it, okay? Um, So... Um, So I believe the order in this passage here in Malachi is important in some sense. But sometimes it's hard to tell which came first, the chicken or the egg. (laughs) But God does say first fathers to turn their hearts to their children. Okay. And I believe that's because we are those that are more spiritually mature. Okay. Uh, We're older. All right. And that's our responsibility to take care of children. All right. Um, does that always mean that a child will not turn away from the parent? No. Okay? And I'll just tell you, back when I was younger, um, my kids were small. Um, my oldest son was on the autism spectrum, but we didn't realize that's what it was at the time, because he was very high-functioning, but it caused lots of issues, <laughs> lots of issues. And I know they were well-meaning, but I had a couple of people come to me. <laughs> and. Um, try to give me some advice about parenting. Um, But it it was very condemning, okay? Felt like I'd been hit with a two-by-four in the chest after both of them (laughs) spoke to me, you know? And because it was about everything that they thought I was doing wrong, okay? And um, so I remember that night I was sitting in a chair and I was literally physically paralyzed. I was just sitting there. I was like... I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to say. You know, every, is everything I'm doing wrong, Lord? You know, am I just really messed up as a parent? And um, the Lord just spoke to me that such, that sweet voice. And he said, I'm the perfect parent, Janice, and look at my children. And, that, <laughs> and I just brought, so, the release was immediate. I mean, freedom, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, um, so even if children aren't responding accordingly, I still do believe that, that God still puts that responsibility in the Father. It didn't release me from responsibility, but God doesn't condemn us, you know, and, and, and God's in there with us in it, you know, he's in, he's in the midst, okay, he walks in the midst of the candlestones, he walks in the midst of the, you know, the stones of fire, okay, you know, so, so yes, it's, it's still our responsibility to train them in the way they should go. And, as the scripture says, not to provoke them to anchor, anger. So, um, I want to go back a little bit because, again, saying where did this all start, the chicken and the egg? And as I reflected on this, I really feel like what we're experiencing, a lot of what we're experiencing down in America started in the 60s. Okay? I was born in 1960, so you can do the math. <laughs> um, but I believe I have witnessed in my lifetime much of the destruction of the nuclear family. Um, I found this um, quote here, and just, you know, because I thought, okay, let me give a little support for what I'm saying here. But, um, oh, I'd already it's already gone ahead. Did you push the button? <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, This is a quote from Victor Davis Hanson, who is a classicist and a historian at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. And he wrote this concerning the 60s revolution and the great society policies of President Johnson in the 60s. And if you don't know what the great society policies were, they were the policies that brought in welfare, okay? Um, He said, the 60s revolution introduced to the country everything from hippies, communes, free love, mass tattooing, commonplace profanity, rampant drug use, rock music, and high divorce rates. He said the great society inaugurated a multi-trillion dollar investment in the welfare state. Divorce rates soared and the nuclear family waned. And one of the reasons for that was when welfare was instituted. It's not that people don't need help. What started to happen was it replaced fathers in the home it replaced that support and the need for that, okay? So, you know, if you, if, if you can get money to, you know, for what you need without the husband having to work, then maybe you don't need a husband, okay? Um, so what that opened up was a lot of fatherlessness in this nation. Um, and I want to give you some statistics on fatherlessness. According to this is, and this is the 2020, okay, that they just did, the census. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 18.3 million children, one in four, okay, in this nation, live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. So that's a lot of children who are fatherless, okay? Um, I also found these statistics, which I thought were interesting, Um, And, um, again, I found this on a CDC um, um, website, okay? And the uh, the question was asked to people, or not the question, the statement was made, um, it is okay for an unmarried female to have and raise a child. And these percentages actually increased over time from when they started doing them. And you can see, in 2002, among women, 69.5% of those they surveyed agreed with that statement. Okay? Then you can see in 2006 to 2010, 78.4% agreed with that statement. Then, 2011 to 2013, 78.3% agreed, okay? And among men, it started off at 58.9%, it went up to 70.1%. And well, there, it dropped a little bit to 69. thing got divided in the wrong place, 69.2%. So this survey showed that two-thirds to three-quarters hovering around that, that area of people agreed that it was okay for a woman to get pregnant outside of marriage and raise that child alone. And so that, you know, that's very alarming that, of how we shift it from, you know, monogamous, two-parent household, <laughs> you know. And again, it, we're not pointing the finger, okay, but we're looking at what's changed, okay, and we're looking again, as I believe, at a war, okay, and something that the enemy has propagated, okay, that he's propagated because, again, he wants to destroy everything that represents God okay, and everything that, that God is for, okay, and what God's trying to do here at the end of the age especially. Um, you know, I also feel like, you know, what I've witnessed over the years was also just an increase in absentee parents. Again, I feel like that kind of started in the 60s because it was, a, was kind of an it's about me thing that began to happen, you know. What would they say? You know, um, if it feels... This was a slogan that I grew up hearing as a child. If it feels good, do it. I mean, that was a popular slogan. If it, you know, It's all about me. If it feels good, it doesn't matter who it affects, do it. Okay? And that was kind of like a mantra back then. I remember especially hearing it a lot in the late 60s and in the early 70s. I would hear that. If it feels good, do it. And I remember... Um, when I first it was in 1979 I looked it up because, but I'm, I still remember this day my shock I, I had walked up to the grocery queue you know the, how there's the magazine rack right there and there was a magazine with the name Self that was 1979 and I remember being kind of shocked because it was like they were just putting it out there they were just I thought Lord they're just putting it out there now Self and, and, it, you know, and it made me think of this scripture from 2 Timothy 3, um, where it talks again about the end of the age. And he says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self. And, you know, you can see I put the ellipsis, because then there's a long list <laughs> of things that men at the end of the age will do. But I'm going to tell you, you can wrap it all up in the first statement that was made lovers of self. You can go read that long list, but all of it's wrapped up in lovers of self. Okay. Um, so there is this need for the hearts of the fathers to turn to the children. And I, and actually this was not, you know, this, the message I was going to deliver today, but the Lord surprised me a couple of weeks ago. And he, by telling me to read the book of Obadiah. Okay. And then he took me on a scripture, a, a journey through scripture that, that I was very surprised, something that I had never seen as really being prophetic before. So we're going we're gonna to go there now. We're going to segue over into Obadiah. But what, I'm, what you're going to see is it ties into this Mark passage and this Malachi 4 passage, okay? So let's look at Obadiah. It's a very small prophetic book. In fact, it's only one chapter long. Mm. <laughs> we're not going to read the whole thing, but just a few so, a selected verses Okay, starting in verse 1. It says, The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise and let us go against her, Edom, for battle. So the first thing you have to know is who is Edom. And you can go to Genesis 36 and get a a, real quick... (laughs) definition of who is Edom. I'm going to look at a couple of verses there. Genesis 36, verse 1. Now this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. Verse 8. So Esau dwelt in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. And this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. He was the father of Edom. Okay. These were the sons of Esau, who is Edom. Esau, in verse 43, was the father, again, of the Edomites. So Esau is Edom. You know, he's their father. They all descended from him. And if you know who Esau was, he was the twin brother of Jacob, okay, in Scripture. These are both the only sons of Abraham's uh, son Isaac and his wife Rebekah. Okay, so Abraham would have been um, their grandfather, Okay, Esau and and, and Jacob. So this book of Obadiah is about the judgment of Edom or Esau. And I believe that Esau is a prophetic picture of the spirit of what we have seen released here at the end of the age. And it's what we don't want to give ourselves to, but rather, again, that which we want to do warfare in ourselves against. And so let's look, what was Esau or Edom being judged for in this book of Obadiah? We'll look here at verse 10 in Obadiah. It says, because of violence to your brother, Jacob, okay, stick that feather in your cap right there. Because of violence to your brother, Jacob, you will be covered with shame, and you will be caught, cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gate, and cast lots for Jerusalems, you too were as one of them. The Edomites, these descendants of Esau, actually joined up with Babylon in the destruction of Israel. Okay? Okay? and i think this is a prophetic picture again in light of what who revelation says is the mother of all harlotries and abominations and is drunk on the blood of the saints and the martyrs of jesus in the book of revelation it's babylon and you know and what are we told in relation to babylon <laughs> we're told to come out of her Revelation 18, 4 says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. So you have to understand who Babylon is. Babylon descended from Babel, okay? We've all heard the story of the Tower of Babel, right? Um... Babel was man's efforts to unify himself apart from God. It was man's efforts to actually exalt himself to be like God. <laughs> and who does that sound like? Who said that they would be like the Most High? Satan, Lucifer. That he would ascend and he would be like the Most High. It's, it's always been Satan's plan To get man to separate himself from God, to attempt to rule his own destiny, and to make a life without God. So God, you know, in that scripture, I'm not not going to all that. But he dispersed the people of Babel into all the different nations. But that spirit has still been at work in the earth today. And I believe here we are at the end of the age. All things here at the end of the age are coming to a culmination. Everything is coming to a harvest, both good and bad, okay? And this is coming to a harvest now here at the end of the age, this spirit of Babylon. We see it in the great reset, globalism. And, and this thing, I'm going to tell you guys, is on hyperspeed, okay? It is on hyperspeed. Because the enemy always comes to do a counterfeit of what God wants to do. God wants to bring that unity. He wants to bring that unity that he talks about. He talks about that cross-generational unity. He, he wants to bring that familial unity. He wants to bring us together as one under him. You know, we're told in um, Psalm 133, um, <laughs> the unity of the brethren, that, um, you know, That's what the Lord wants. He wants us to all come under him. And he says, there, the blessing abides forever. But what are we told in Malachi when that doesn't happen? A curse comes, okay? A curse. So I believe that this is where we are right now. And Edom or Esau, he came against his brothers, those descendants of Jacob, and aligned himself with Babylon and shed their blood. So let's look at a couple of other scriptures um, depicting this and talking about this. In Amos one eleven, it says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity. His anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever, okay? And Ezekiel 35 also talks about this. Sorry, it's a little small there. (laughs) Um, It says, because you harbored an ancient hatred, okay? He had, the, the scripture calls it an ancient hatred. I believe it goes back even further than Jacob. I believe it was a hatred born of Satan, It was ancient, okay? He harbored an ancient hatred and delivered the Israelites over to the sword in the time of their disaster at the final stage of their punishment. Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Lord God, I will give you over to bloodshed and it will pursue you. Since you did not hate bloodshed, it will pursue you. Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Lord God, I will treat you according to the anger and jealousy you showed in your hatred against them and I will make myself known among them when I judge you. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have heard every contemptuous word you uttered against the mountains of Israel when you said, they are desolate, they are given to us to devour. You boasted against me with your mouth and multiplied your words against me. I heard it myself. As I, you know, was reading all these passages the Holy Spirit started speaking a line to me as I was reading all this about Obadiah and looking at this. And I kept hearing him say, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. You know, that's kind of hard for us, but there are some things the Lord hates, okay? And I'm not going to go into all those. You can look those up in Scripture, but there are some things the Lord does hate, okay? But I want us to look at this Scripture and, again, to get some more insight into um, Esau, and who he is spiritually. And then let's look at Romans 9, 8 through 13. Okay, it says, and and, and, and I'm kind of diving in here, but hang on, it'll make sense, okay? It says, that is those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise, At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. The older being Esau, the younger being Jacob. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. This describes a difference here by calling those who are not of the Spirit the children of the flesh. And I think that is the marker of Esau. He was a child of the flesh. He pursued the flesh. He did not pursue the things of the Spirit. Okay? We're going to see more of that as we go ahead. So I do believe this is prophetic of what is happening currently in uh, the natural realms, or the earthly realms, and in the spiritual realms, here on the Earth at this time, and then it's going to increase. You know, I'd never thought of that statement before, "Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated," is really being prophetic. But you know, everything in the scripture repeats itself. It's put there for all eternity. It's a spiritual paradigm. And that's what, you know, as I read this, I saw this is a spiritual paradigm that the Lord wants us to get, okay? So both of these descendants uh, were descendants of Abraham and Isaac. Both of them were brothers. But Esau made choices that alienated him from the Lord, okay? And the Lord knew this beforehand, okay? He knew Um, prophetically already, because the Lord knows, you know, (laughs) the end from the beginning. So he knew the choices that Esau would make. And as we read, you know, Esau harbored an ancient hatred inside of himself, toward his brother. And that's the thing that I, I guess I want you to catch in this. These were brothers, okay? These were brothers. And also, You know, when it talks about coming out of Babylon, who does it say come out of Babylon? My people. Okay? So we're talking about the house of God here. We're talking about people who should be spiritually related to each other. And we're talking about a war between them. And um, I know... um, my son, he used to take me every year on my birthday to see a movie um, that had come out, you know, because my birthday's right at Christmas. And so we would always go see the latest Star Wars or something, you know, what are, you know, the big things that always come out. So we had gone to see one, and you know how the previews come up beforehand? And the previews came up, and the preview for the movie that was coming out that summer was... Um, how did they word it first? Um, Captain America, Civil War. As soon as that came on the screen, the spirit of the Lord hit me. I mean, my son looked at me because, I, you know, the spirit of the Lord hit me. And, I, you know, physically, sometimes it will knock you down or knock you sideways or something. And, you know, I began to just inside groan. And the Lord says, there is a civil war coming and there is a civil war coming in my church. Because that was what, in that movie, it depicted brothers against brothers, okay? You know, we're having that in the natural too, but this is in the church too. There is a civil war going on. And, 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 and so this is where we need to examine ourselves, okay? And this is where we need to say, you know, caution. What, what is that spirit of Esau? You know, what is the difference there? Am I, pers- am I, am I pers- uh, participating in that spirit? Okay. So, you know, as we read in Mark 13, you know, it says, Now brother will betray brother to death. And that's what Esau did. He betrayed Jacob to death. He wanted to kill, you know, when they were both brothers. He wanted to kill me, He didn't then. But that thing grew because, you know, what does the scripture tell us? That Murder is in the heart. You hate someone, it's the same thing. You have that in your heart, and if it's unchecked, it will lead to physical murder. So I think this is interesting, too, that although God knew Edom would do all this evil to Israel, you know, because he knows the future, look at what God's instruction was to Israel. He said, you shall not abhor an Edomite. For he is your brother. Even though he knew what was in their heart. Because God doesn't change. God always tells us to love our enemies, right? To love those who are against us. To pray for those who persecute us. God does not change. He says, you know, (laughs) vengeance is his. He will repay. If there's something to be repaid, we are not supposed to do that. So I'm going to tell you, I've been wrestling a lot with this lately. And one of the places I've been living and, and I didn't put it in here but I pulled it up on my phone. Let me see if I can get it to come up. Is Psalm thirty seven. Lord has just really been speaking to me out of there and it's funny, it's eleven thirty seven. Okay, thank you, Lord Prophetic thirty seven. hit it right on the button, didn't I? <laughs> um okay. And the Lord has just been, he's been convicting me. He's been telling me, this is where you got to get, Janice. This is where y'all got to live right now. It says, do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light and justice of your cause like the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. And here it is again. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. And then this one he really zinged me with. Refrain from anger. And forsake wrath. Because I've been angry. (laughs) I have. I've been angry. You know, I'm angry about some of these things and these injustices and these things that are happening. It says, but do not fret again. It leads only to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So that whole, you can read more on that, I encourage you to. I've been reading it like almost every day and praying it for myself. And saying, Lord, you know, this is the place, this is the place where I want to live. I want to live in this place where I don't fret, where I cease from anger. That, you know, even though our enemies are there, that I have love for them. I bless them. I don't curse them. I trust you. You know, if we, I think about Elijah and some of those prophets sometimes, and I think about them. And they were unflappable. <laughs> You know, think about Elijah and, you know, they, they, they pretty much, especially Elisha, Elisha called down fire out of heaven on people. He was, And, and he's the one who said to his servant, he said, you know, it, the servant was fretting because here comes the enemy army. And he, he says, Lord, open his eyes that he can see. And what did he see? He saw the angel armies and all that were with him. And that's what the Lord wants us to see. He wants us to get in that place where we see that, where we, we are unslappable because we know who is with us. You know, we laugh at the future, just like, you know, we can laugh at the future. Because we know that we're covered in scarlet, like the Proverbs thirty one one. We know we're covered in we know we're covered with the blood of Jesus. You know, we're at we're at peace in that because we know that. And we know that He's He's taking care of it. You know, and I'm not saying that's total inaction. I think one of the biggest things we, we need to do is pray. And then we need to be boots on the ground to go. You can go read that Isaiah 58, but to do Isaiah 58. I really feel like that's where we're supposed to go, you know. Um, okay, so let me find where I was here in my notes. Because I flipped over to read that and shut my book. Um, So, yes, um, you know, we need to check our hearts. We need to make sure that we're not aligning ourselves with Babylon, you know, that we're not aligning ourselves with hatred and vitriol. And you can just go look at some of the social media feeds of some Christians under there. (laughs) I mean, I just see some nasty stuff sometimes. I'm like, whoa, this is the body of Christ. Um, You know, so are we allowing hatred or bitterness in our hearts? And also, what are we speaking out of our mouths? Because, you know, that's that's what he said there in Ezekiel 35. Um, He said, um, you boasted against me with your mouth and multiplied your words against me. I heard it myself. That's when they were talking against Israel. When, When Edomites were talking against the Israelites, God said, you did it against me. You know, what did Jesus say to Saul when he confronted him on the road to Damascus? He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Because we're the Lord's body. And the scripture says, if we bite and devour each other, beware that that we might be consumed. Okay, we may just consume ourselves. And um, so there's there's one more aspect of Esau that I, I want us to explore too. Um, this is one of the well-known passages in the New Testament about Esau. Hebrews 12, 16, it says, And make sure there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. (laughs) One one translation said, for a mess of meat. (laughs) I thought that was funny. Um, Genesis 25, 34, and we're going to look at that. It says Esau despised his birthright. Okay, and let's look at that passage. It says, now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom, and Edom means red. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went on his way. (laughs) Thus Esau despised his birthright. And this is where earlier that I said that Esau believed is, is representative of being of the flesh, a child of the flesh. He was driven by his flesh. In the moment, he was hungry. You know, birthright, God, spiritual heritage. I'm hungry. You know, what's that to me? And so we had to stop and ask ourselves, you know, did we ever sell our birthright for something, something temporal? Okay? So Esau did not value his birthright. He didn't value his inheritance, and he didn't value where he came from. And I believe you can also see this in another scripture of Esau. It says, when Esau was 40 years old, he took his wives, Judas, the daughter of Biri the Hittite, and Bathamath the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, at this point, Esau is 40 years old. He surely knows about who they are. (laughs) He surely knows about their heritage. He surely knows they have married within the family, okay? Because to you know to keep this bloodline pure and everything, they this is what they were to do. But Esau, here at 40 years old, goes and does what? Marries outside of it, and he actually marries those you know that, that so many times in scripture are represented with the flesh. So again, he did just what he wanted to. He didn't pay any attention to what his parents may have wanted him to do or what his heritage said. Um, You know, Abraham had specifically requested that Isaac marry within family bloodlines and did. He married Abraham's great-niece, Rebecca. Um, So you can see here that he knew this, but his heart was not turned to his natural or his spiritual fathers, okay? And I believe we are seeing this, too, play out on many levels right now in our, in our culture, in our society. Again, we saw this in the 60s. The youth then threw off all the customs of their parents and previous generations. They despised their birthright. And this has continued, and we're seeing it now. Um, Rick Joyner of Morningstar talks about this a lot, as, as the uh, honoring the honoring of fathers and mothers. And, you know, he he references the scripture about that. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And again, you know, he says that he believes this is not only natural parents, but spiritual parents and previous generations. You know, you can see this with Saul and David, even in scripture. Even though David was supposed to be the rightful king, and Saul was wrongly there, David honored Saul. Saul came after him, so yes, he had to you know defend himself. But but um, David, even when he could have killed Saul, did not. He honored him as a father. Okay, he honored him because the Lord had honored him and put him in that position. Um, did. Previous generations, do they always do everything right? No, but the Lord doesn't stipulate that, okay? He just commands that we honor fathers and mothers, okay? And um, I think that it's interesting at what's attached with this is that it may be well with you in the land because what did we see in Malachi? If the hearts of the fathers are not turned to the children and the children are not to the fathers, a curse comes upon the land. Okay? So these things are tied together. Um, and And Obadiah also talks about the pride in Esau's heart. It says, The arrogance, pride of your heart has deceived you. And again, like I told you, that spirit of the age right now, too, is deception. You who live in the clefts of the rock in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to earth? Again, you've got this language that sounds very similar to Satan again, saying, you know, I'm going to ascend. I'm going to be higher than all. Um, Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars from there, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So even later, again, showing this pride and arrogance in Esau's heart. um, Up. Maybe I don't have that scripture there. I don't. I missed that one, too. (laughs) Um, We see that Esau went and he married. um, Well, okay, let me back up. Jacob listened to his mother. She told him, go marry a wife out of our family. He left and did that, okay? So it says that when Esau saw that, he is like, well, you know, somewhere in himself, (laughs) He decided that he would get married again, too. But he didn't consult anybody. He went and married a daughter of Ishmael. (laughs) And even though Ishmael was a descendant of Abraham, we know that Ishmael was not the son of promise. Okay? Just like we read earlier. He was not of that spiritual line. He was not of that spiritual heritage. So, again, Esau, to me, there is showing, you know, his rebellion in his heart his pride I know I know best I know I'm this is what I'm going to fix this this is what I'll do okay he didn't look to what his parents or the generations before again had done he did his own thing and I think it's interesting that Esau like we read is actually likened to a fornicator or a sexually immoral person because I believe it's that's what he did with the things of God. It's kind of like Hosea and Gomer, who played the harlot with God's love, you know, where she went and had children of harlotry, even though she was married to Hosea. And that we, you know, we do that when we have that rebellion in our heart and when we choose our own way. We, it's as if we are fornicating against the Lord. And, um, you know, thinking of Jacob, did he do everything right? No but he understood the value of that birthright. He understood his heritage. He valued that. He pursued it. <laughs> in fact, you know, we see how he pursued it, you know. And, and God honored that. God honored his pursuit. Even though it may have went a little zigzag, how does our pursuit go often? <laughs> a little gets a little off. But if we're pursuing in our heart, because God looks at the heart, God will honor that, okay? So there's a lot more that could be said about all these passages, um, but, you know, but don't have time to go into it all. But thinking on this, I thought, you know, how do, we, how do we conclude on this and how do we respond? And I want to go back to that passage of Scripture in 1 Chronicles 12, um, because it concerned not only the sons of Issachar, but all those who were gathered to David. And I believe it too is a prophetic picture for all time. So I put several of the scriptures from that up here. Starting in verse 22, it says, For day by day men came to David. And you can think of that, think of that spiritually as Jesus, because David was a type of Jesus. For day by day men came to David to help him until there was a great army like the army of God. Now, these are the numbers of the divisions equipped for war. Again, we are in a time of war. Who came to David at Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. And again, it says, of those sons of Enzachar, men who understood the times. We've got to be praying for that discernment with knowledge of what Israel should do. Skip to verse 38. All these being men of war who could draw up in battle formation came to Hebron with a perfect heart, a loyal heart, to make David king over all Israel. And the rest also of Israel were of one mind to make David king. So I feel like, you know, here in conclusion, we we need to be asking the Lord to equip us to war, to equip us for war, and to help us discern the times that we're in. You know, not just for us, but because, again, we're a body. And we're responsible for for way more than just us, okay? So we need to be asking him that. Um, We need to ask him to teach us how to draw up in battle formation. Again, I feel like our ranks, we've been kind of scattered doing our own thing. But the Lord wants us to come together and unify under him for this battle that we're in. He wants us to come together. If you've not heard that word, Ecclesia, Ecclesia is the, is the Greek word for the church in the New Testament. It actually means a governing body. He's wanting us to come together and be that governing body. Because I believe, as the scripture says, you know, we're going to rule and reign with, with Jesus in the next stage. I believe this is training for that. You know, I, I believe that we're just supposed to make a smooth transition, a seamless transition into that. That we're already supposed to be equipped and then pass into that. Um, you know, and I believe this drawing up information also means finding our place in the body and encouraging other people to do that. Find your gifting, find it, get in that place, encourage other people to do that, support each other, build each other up in that and getting into that place in the body. Um, and, and we need to work together as the father and the son and the Holy Spirit do. You know, they work in mutual preference and deference, (laughs) They have, some, they have jobs that they could all do, but they don't. You know, the Father gave things to the Son. The Father and the Son gave things to the Holy Spirit. And at the end, it says that the Holy Spirit and, you know, and, and Jesus give everything up to the Father. Okay? So they, they recognize those roles, and they work and prefer each other and work together. And I believe most importantly... We need to ask the Lord to give us a perfect heart or a loyal heart to him. Because if we've got that, we're going to get the rest of it, right? If we've got that. And be of one mind to see him made king in our lives and over the whole earth.